in about 12 years of doing ministry, uh, the last nine months as the lead pastor out here at City West has been the most affirming, the most awe-inspiring time uh, of my ministry. And, and, and we have seen the, the staff here and the team here and the volunteers and people who have invested their life into what God is doing here. Uh, we have seen some incredible things, including uh, growth in numbers. And growth in numbers isn't everything, but the reality is there are hundreds of people here now who weren't here back in October during our MOVE series where we really got clear on what the purpose and vision is for City West. And really when it comes to vision, whatever you might be leading in your life, maybe you're casting vision for a company that you run, or maybe you're managing a team of people, uh, maybe you are leading your family and casting vision for how God is going to use y'all uniquely in this world like Pastor Tony talked to us about last week. Maybe you're married without kids and you're leading your spouse. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and you're trying to figure out the dynamics of leading each other into the best life that you can live. Or maybe you don't really have many responsibilities at this point and you're just leading yourself, which could be the most important leadership of all. Whatever you're casting vision for, it isn't good enough to just cast vision once and then hope that it sticks forever. It is important to recast your vision. When you get married, you are casting vision for your relationship from now until death do you part. And so you stand up in front of a, a congregation of witnesses and you pledge your love to each other. And maybe you sing them a song if you're extra special. And you tell them how it doesn't matter if they're sick or if they're healthy, even though you haven't seen them sick yet and haven't held their hair back while they're vomiting kind of in the toilet, kind of not, and you're going to have to clean it up because you're the only one who isn't sick at that point. You haven't seen all those things, but you cast the vision for what you want your marriage to be like, how you want these two lives to come together in one. And if you get married and you stand there on your wedding day and cast that vision and never recast the vision for your marriage ever again, you're going to be in some serious trouble in your relationship. You got to find some time to take your spouse out on a date, cook them a meal, wake them up early, spend a little time at night before the kids go to bed. And every once in a while, you have to check back in on the vision. You know I still love you and I know these kids are bad and they're driving you crazy and you have to deal with them more than I have to deal with them. And I know that work is complicated and we've been married a little while now so we know how to push each other's buttons uh, to the ultimate degree, but we're still doing this and God still has something for us. And this this is some free marriage advice because this isn't a marriage sermon, but you got to keep recasting your vision and your company that you're running. If you are not recasting your vision, vision will leak. And scripture says that where there is no vision, the people perish. We're going to talk again about the vision of City West today and what God is wanting to do here to unleash this unique part of his movement that all of us have the opportunity to be a part of. Uh, I want to preach a little bit at the beginning out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because I think it shows the important distinctions and, and this important synergy that we are trying to create in what we're doing here and how we're thinking about things at City West. Uh, 1 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he's writing to a congregation that he had started today. We would call this a church plant. And he is writing to them because they've been having some problems. And in the chapters before chapter 12, 
He, he is chastising them a little bit about some jealousy among the different members. And what is happening is people are beginning to jockey for position among the congregation. People are trying to find their significance in things apart from the purpose and calling that God had placed on their lives. And so Paul uses a beautiful metaphor uh, to correct them. In chapter 12, verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is the body of Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all given one spirit to drink. What he means by that is we all have the same spirit of God living inside of us, all of us who have believed in Jesus. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. The body is not one part, but many. And on one hand, he's talking about uh, the body of Christ. This is the metaphor that he is using for these congregations, for this movement of Jesus. But he's also talking about our physical bodies as a reference point. And we're so busy and we have so many things going on that if we're honest, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about how our bodies are really just the sum of all of these different parts. Our bodies are these incredibly, incredibly complex organisms and one of the reasons that we don't think a whole lot about the fact uh, that we're all these different parts we're we're toes and fingers and feet and legs and you know some other stuff that all comes together to to make up our bodies because God has hardwired us and he is such an incredible creator that the majority of things that we do with our body are happening at a subconscious level some of you can stand very still and talk. I don't have that spiritual gift. I talk with my hands. And while I am up here spastically flailing around, I am not thinking one conscious thought about where my hands will go. I'm not telling my feet to walk. Everyone in this room has been blinking all day. You woke up blinking. You ate breakfast blinking. You drove here blinking. You yelled at your kids blinking. You sat through the music blinking. And you never thought about the fact that you were blinking until I started talking about it. And why is it that as soon as someone starts talking about blinking, it's like, am I blinking weird right now? I'm so aware of it. All of a sudden, this subconscious function becomes conscious, and it's hard for me to do. I'm just not going to blink the rest of the service and see what happens. We are the sum of our parts, and he's saying that the body of Christ, the movement of Jesus, this coming together, this gathering of people is also more than just one entity, it is about individual purpose and individual calling. And that's one of the things that is making City West unfortunately unique is that every week we don't fail to talk about how you were created unique amongst all other people and all of creation and you have a created intention and purpose inside of you that for the body of Christ to function well you have to be uniquely playing. Paul taught this but he had some problems that were coming up and in verse 15 he talks about some of these tensions in the Corinthian congregation. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, 
where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And what had happened in Corinth is the trap of comparison. And people were not okay with how they were created, their gifts, talents, and positions that God had placed them in because they were so busy looking at someone else's gifts, talents, and positions and wishing that that was theirs. And it's one of the problems I have with Christian culture and church culture is that we try to stamp everybody out of the same cookie cutter. So we all look the same and we all sound the same and we all dress the same and we all want to do the same things. And what Paul is saying is that for the body of Christ to function at maximum capacity, the same way for our physical bodies to function at maximum capacity, everyone has to understand their role and they have to be ready to play it. We have a lot of people who want to do a lot of things that they're not gifted or positioned for. I was, a, I was a worship pastor for a long time, and I can't tell you how many people went to the karaoke bar on Saturday night and killed it and then sat in the seats on Sunday morning like, I should be up there. I should, I should be right there between Noel and Celeste. I don't belong down here with all the feet. I'm obviously a mouth. I am a mouth, and I should not be down here with all of the peasants. I should be on the stage. And if I really want to worship, I need to be on the stage worshiping. And, and first of all, you probably were three shots in at the karaoke bar, and you're not as good as you think you are. None of your friends wanted to hurt your feelings. But second of all, what happens is people who God created as a foot sit there, and they're jealous of the mouth. And so they don't realize that they're not moving in their created purpose. And now the body of Christ is having trouble walking into the power that God is calling it to. People are hands and they get jealous of the eyes. Man, they just have so much vision. They're so intuitive. Man, they get all of the leadership positions and I get passed over. And what they don't realize is that God created them with this level of empathy and caring and patience and generosity. And they never get to fulfilling the power of their purpose and making a difference in the lives of the people around them by reaching out and being the hands of God that they were created to be because they're so upset that they're not an eye. Paul is saying you have to quit comparing yourself to the people around you. The only person that we compare ourselves to is the purpose that God has created us for. Getting clear on why he put us on the earth, how he made us unique, how he made us stand out so that we can stand up and make a difference in the world around us. If everything was an eye, how could we hear? And if everything was a mouth then where would the sense of smell be? And verse 18, this is where we're going to end this section at the front of the sermon. That's a little bit for free. It'll, it'll connect, but it's a little bit for free. In verse 18, Paul says, But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body. And this is, this is a word today for someone who's never been comfortable with the personality and character and gifts and talents that God has put inside of you. This is for someone in the room who had it spoken into them from someone outside of you that you should be different or that you should work on all of these areas that you're not actually gifted in. This is a word for someone in the room who grew up never able to make their parents happy because they didn't come up with the innate 
personality traits to take over the family business or follow in the father's footsteps. This is for the stay-at-home moms who get no recognition for what they do. And in fact, their primary audience does nothing but cry and complain all of the time. Because what Paul says is it is God. It, it, it isn't your genetics. It isn't your husband. It isn't the way your parents raised you. It isn't the trauma you've been through. Who God created you to be and the intention and purpose he placed on your life. God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Let's pray. God, we're going to look at the vision that you have placed on our hearts at City West. A vision for us as individuals to understand that you created us for our lives to make a difference in this world. That we do have purpose, even though the world may have surrounded us and filled us with so many lies and so many insecurities and so much pride and so much anxiety that it's hard for us to see it or feel it sometimes. But God, we are more than just ourselves. We are being called to be a part of something so much greater, to be a part of your movement, your body, coming together to do more as a movement than we could do as an individual member. And so God, just guide us and guide my words and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Nine months ago, I, uh, I had the privilege of coming out here to West. It was my uh, first opportunity to be the lead pastor uh, of a congregation. And, uh, and I was incredibly excited and, and we've been through it. You know, really the vision to come out here came uh, at a point where I got crazy sick, almost died. God slowed me down enough by putting me in a hospital for two weeks where I could finally listen to him and get a picture of what church could be like if we just simply stripped it back to Jesus's original intention for his movement and his original intention for our lives. And what we've seen is what we said the third week of the Move series is that when movements move, movements grow. And we've grown in space Right here where you guys are sitting, this used to be an outdoor patio that, that the bar owners helped us uh, bring in. It's been a great win for both of us. We've grown uh, numerically. We now have between 11 and 1,200 people coming here on our weekends. People have been growing spiritually as they've been going through the programs that Pastor Bobby oversees. And we're about to grow our impact uh, on September the 9th when we launch our city teams and get you guys meeting uh, in groups of people outside of this weekend gathering to apply what we have been learning. But all of this started with a question, and it was a question that came to me as I was uh, in the hospital, and it was a strange question for someone who's been in ministry for the better part of a decade. But the question was, why would anyone go to church? Why would anyone go to church? As just this week, we see another heartbreaking story up in Pennsylvania. Over 300 church leaders who have molested at least 1,000 children over the last couple of decades. We see in our Protestant circles at Willow Creek, the fourth largest church in America, as their pastor allegedly has decade upon decade of misogynistic behavior and abusive tendencies towards women. Not only that, but the practical realities, the fact that your kids are in sports leagues that are playing 
all over the state and some of y'all all over the country. And many of those sporting events are happening on Sunday. The reality that those of you with smaller children who are almost impossible to get ready on one of your only days off in the entire week to get them dressed, get them in the car, get them to Kid City, show up a little late, take the walk of shame to your seat as everybody else is already singing the third song. Why would anyone go to church? 20 years ago, no one had to ask this question. It was just mandatory. It was a part of society. But not anymore. These days, people are, are choosing uh, at rapid numbers to not go to church. 85% of millennials who grew up in church, drug babies. They were drugged to church. They were drugged to Sunday school. They were drugged to Awanas. 85% of them have now left the church. 85%, 15% have stayed. It's no longer a societal obligation to get up on Sundays and to come. And I had this thought, if churches cannot answer this question of why would anyone take the time to go to church, churches are going to cease to exist. And we see it every year, thousands and thousands, and the numbers keep increasing of churches are closing their doors permanently. And it's very confusing because we read the actual first use of the word church in all of scripture is in Matthew 16, 18. And this is a verse we've talked a lot about. We've looked at it from a lot of different angles. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Jesus said, I will build my church. And nothing, not even hell itself, will be able to withstand the church that Jesus is starting. And so how do we understand this conflict between this very bold statement of Jesus and the current reality of the state of the church today? And to understand it, we have to understand what church really is. And I understand this is review for some of you, uh, but we're gonna keep recasting this vision until we catch as many people as we can. If we put the word back in its original Greek uh, that this book of the Bible was written in, Matthew 16, what Jesus really said is, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Ecclesia is a compound word in the Greek. Ek means out, kleo means called. Ecclesia very simply means the called out. Now, this was not a religious term that Jesus was using. It was a political term. An ecclesia is when people were called out of society. People were called out of their neighborhoods, called out of their places of work to come and be a part of a political purpose that was incredibly significant. You were called out to play a role in the government of wherever you resided. And what Jesus said, instead of saying, I will build my synagogue or I will build my temple, he borrowed a political term and the creator of all things said, all right, this word is mine now. I will build my ecclesia. I will be the one calling people out of society for a purpose so significant that they will literally join me in writing the pages of history. Ecclesia is a term that is not about organization or place uh, or rules and processes. It is a term that is about people. And what Jesus said he was going to start 
is not religious tradition. What he said he was going to start was a movement. I will build my ecclesia. And today I want to talk about the three lies of the modern church. And I believe that these are the three things that are sabotaging the significance of the movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. These are the three primary reasons that this ecclesia, this movement that Jesus talked about, that nothing, not even the power of hell will be able to withstand, has lost all of its cultural influence, has lost much of its numbers, and is quickly becoming irrelevant in the eyes of many people. The three lies of the modern church is that the church is a place. This is why people can talk about going to church. And what they mean is an empty church building. They can say, that's my church over there. Now for us, it's a little weird because people are like, the, the bar? Is it behind the bar? Is it, did that used to be a bar? When many people talk about church, they're talking about a location. They're talking about brick and mortar. They're talking about walls and ceilings and floors and facilities and, and restrooms and stages and curtains and PowerPoint and screens. When they say church, they're talking about a place on a map, something that you can Google, something that Siri can give you directions to. The first lie of the modern church is that the church is a place. The second lie is that the church is an organization. And, and, and this can be complicated because right after Jesus spoke these words and said, I will start my movement and the power of hell will not overcome it. He then gave his disciples, the very men who would start this movement, who would set the foundation of it. He gave them the power and authority to take his movement and make it fit contextually wherever it may go. The Apostle Paul in one of his letters said, I will become all things to all men that I may reach some with the gospel. And we live in a context and in a culture where if you are going to run any kind of religious services, the government wants to know about it. We have laws about the separation of church and state. We have an IRS who needs you to have a 501c3 not-for-profit designation. We have to have a tax-specific identification number. There is an organizational aspect to what we are doing even here at City West. However, we don't get everything right. We want to be learners and not knowers. But one of the things that we believe has fueled the power of the movement here is as a staff, those of us who through your contributions are getting a salary so that we can take 40, 50, 60 hours a week to focus on pushing this movement forward, we stay very clear on the delineation between the organizational side of what we're doing that we read books about and we try to be excellent about. We set up lines of accountability and we have good structures and processes and we have HR functions and we have all the things that a business has to have to run. But we stay very clear that that is not the ecclesia. It is a means to an end. You are the ecclesia. And when people get that confused, and the second lie of the modern church is that the organization is the movement. 
And as soon as you start prioritizing the business side of what we have to do in our culture and what we have to legally do in our context, when that becomes the priority, you start making decisions and preaching sermons that are for the betterment of the organization, not for the purpose and potential of the people. The third lie of the modern church is that church is a meeting. It's a service. This is why you can say, I went to church. And for generations, people have been checking their church attendance off of their list of societal obligations. I played my 18 holes this week, told my wife I love her once, spanked my kids, I went to church. It was a good week. Church is a meeting, it's a service, it's the music and the, the preaching. The three lines of the modern church is that it's a place, you can point at it on a map, it's an organization, the business is no different from what we do with the people, and that it is simply a meeting to check off of your list. And these three lies are not working. They're not growing, they're not moving, they're not making a difference, and many churches are ceasing to exist because they have bought the lies. We're going to look at Ecclesia in a few different lights before we go to our very simple icon uh, of our vision for our lives here at City West. The word Ecclesia, the word that Jesus used in Matthew 16, 18, the word that we call movement, it's used 153 times in the New Testament. And in order to combat the three lies of the modern church, uh, I want to show you just a few examples of the way that the same word, ecclesia, is used in different settings and different contexts. We already saw the first one in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, and this didn't really have much form. It was just function. I'm going to call people out. We're going to do something so significant that it's going to overcome hell itself. But over time, it started having form attached to it. There are times when the ecclesia refers to large gatherings of people at a specific time and a specific place, exactly like we're doing right here. Nine o'clock, Sunday morning, 151 Saloon. In Acts chapter 11, it says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord, and the news about them reached the ears of the church, the ecclesia at Jerusalem. And this ecclesia, this church, the movement, at Jerusalem was what we would call today a mega church. A couple weeks ago during baptisms, we talked about how the church in Jerusalem started. It started with 3,000 baptisms. In this sense, it's talking a lot about what we're doing right now, a gathering of people who come together. It's planned. It's on the schedule. They come in. They sing songs. They get a, a, a teaching. They get inspired from the word of God. But this isn't the only way ecclesia is used. In 1 Corinthians 16, it says, The ecclesias of Asia greet you. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the ecclesia that is where? In their house. There are many, many, many examples in the New Testament of the same word that we have translated into church 
that we have bought the lie that it's just a place, it's just an organization, it's just a weekly meeting that we go to. But over and over again in scripture, it uses the same word that meant this big formal gathering to also mean an organic group of people meeting in someone's house, meeting in their place of work, meeting out in the community, breaking bread together, fellowshipping with each other, not just hearing the word, but actually applying it to their life. And it wasn't in these big formal gatherings that a lot of the magic of the movement happened. It was when people got into intentional community outside of these large gatherings that the widows started being taken care of, that the orphans were cared for, that the poor were uplifted, that the wealthy shared what they had. We also saw in 1 Corinthians 12, where we started today, in verse 14, it says, Indeed, the body is not one part, but it is many. And don't forget that ecclesia means the called out, not a called out building, not a called out organization, not a called out meeting or service time, but individually called out people to be a part of something significant. And it's time, we believe, here at City West for people to go back to the original intent of the movement of Jesus. The original blueprint that was laid out for us in the pages of Scripture where the movement spread in exponential ways that we have not experienced since the first few centuries of the movement of Jesus the gathering, these things we do here on Sundays, 9, 10, 30, 12, 1, 30, the gathering is the ecclesia. The gathering is the church, but it can't stop there because city teams that we're launching on September 9th, getting together in people's homes or in parks or at restaurants or at the coffee shop or at the pub or wherever you want to get together, that is the church too, but it scales down even smaller because you are the church. You are the ecclesia. If you have believed that Jesus is your hope for your life, not only now, but in eternity, then you have designated yourself as one of the people who have been called out to join with what Jesus is doing on this earth to bring more and more people into eternity. And it is time that we combat the lies of the modern church. This is a part of our vision, is that we are not going to prioritize religious tradition. We're not going to prioritize Christian history. I've gotten in trouble for saying this before. We're not going to prioritize the thoughts of the church fathers. We are going to prioritize above all else the original intention of Jesus, the founder and the finisher of our faith. It isn't about the creeds, it isn't about the hymns, it isn't about the songs, it is about what Jesus intends for our life, and we are not a part of our movement. We are not a part of City West movement, we're not a part of a denominational movement, we're not a part of a cultural movement, we are a part of Jesus' movement. It is not ours. We stand in humility that we get to be a part. And so let's look again at the lies of the modern church. The first lie says that it's a place. The church is about location. But the movement of Jesus says that it is about people, not place. That when the people empty out, 
of the auditorium on Sunday mornings. That the church is no longer there. You might have a church building, meaning a building for the purpose of bringing your church together, but you no longer have a church. Here's a church, here's a steeple. Open the doors, y'all. And close the door in here. And open the doors. And the church goes away. The church gets on the move. If the church is the building, let's live here. Because we aren't called to be in a building. We're called to be the church. We're called to go out. The only purpose of coming together is to get on the same page, to get enlightened and inspired, to get fueled up by the worship, to be humbled, to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. The church is not a place. It's about people. The church goes wherever you go. And that's why when you sign up to be a part of a city team and you guys get together at Taco Cabana and maybe or maybe not have a happy hour margarita while you're studying what I taught that weekend, the church is now at Taco Cabana and the enemy better be on alert because we're not staying on our turf. We are leaving and we're going out on his because he's got people in the grip of anxiety and the grip of depression and in the grip of addiction and in the grip of hopelessness and people are living an insignificant life and God is looking down from heaven and none of his children will leave these buildings that they've mistaken for the church. We have to move. It's not about place. It's about people. It's not about organization. It's about opportunity. The opportunity to be a part of something. The opportunity to be a part of joining with Jesus, being an ambassador of God on the earth, making an impact on people's lives that will last through all of eternity. The organization is necessary. We have to have it. I'm pretty sure I'll go to jail if I try to do this without a 501c3, not for profit. And I know Paul went to jail and wrote some of his letters, uh, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to you know, do my due diligence to not end up there yet. It takes an organization, but the organization is not the movement. The organization is an opportunity to come together and to push something forward, to set a vision and have people come alongside of it as a part of Jesus' movement. And it's not about a meeting, and we've said it a million times, it is about a movement. The ecclesia happens when people come together to strengthen their resolve, to get honest, to take off the masks, to get real about the areas in our life where we are a little bit jacked up and we're pretty far from God in some areas of our life and we have some habits we're not proud of and we have some hang-ups and we're not sure that we agree with all the people around us and the people on the other side of the political aisle kind of stress us out and make us a little frustrated and maybe we honk the horn and we use one of those body parts in traffic every once in a while that we probably shouldn't be using but we come together to become more of the people that God created us to be, to get clear on our individual purpose, to stir up the passions that God placed inside of us. We have a really easy way to encapsulate everything that we're saying about the movement. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some warning for my own personal feelings. I need you to say this like you're excited because even though we've said it a million times, it is what we talk about when we say you have an opportunity to live a significant life. It is the bottom line and the microscript of the vision here at City West so we meet together come on so we can move together we do this very simply some of you have seen this and some of you haven't but we have a three circle icon and I believe that the movement should be simple 
It, it was simple when it started, and it was the most powerful when it started, and we've made it so complicated because sometimes we get in our own way of what we're trying to accomplish. We have three circles, and the first circle is the smallest, and it represents you as an individual. This first circle is about people because the movement is about people. And on an individual level, we believe that people should be healthy in four primary areas. They should be emotionally healthy, financially healthy, relationally healthy, and spiritually healthy. And if you are firing on all four of those cylinders, then you will be a very dangerous person as a part of the movement of Jesus. You will be ready to do some damage and to make a dent in this universe with your life. And every once in a while, we get a little emotionally unhealthy because of things that we've gone through or our thoughts we've had or our emotions we get in. Sometimes we let our finances get out of the way. Sometimes our relationships start falling apart. Sometimes we distance ourselves from God and we're not very spiritually healthy. And what we ask, and Pastor Bobby oversees our first circle, is when that happens for you to take a break. Some of you will even have to take a short break from your city team, and we encourage you to do that, to focus on yourself because you are a part of the body of Christ. And if we have a broken ankle and that ankle never works on rehab and do some PT and get into a room and work on their emotional health, then you're not only going to sabotage your own significance, but you're going to get in the way of the movement. And so on an individual level, I went through our class on emotional health this January, and I got some freedom. I talked about it in a video we made about anxiety that some of you might have watched. That's what we're talking about, our smallest circle. Now, our big circle is our gathering, and it's what we're doing right here. We come in for inspiration. We come in for enlightenment. Some of you coast in because you are emotionally and spiritually depleted because you have been putting it all on the line. You don't just go to church. You go be the church, and you come in here running on empty, and you get filled back up in our weekend gatherings. And there's a third circle. It goes right in the middle. And these are our city teams. And on September 9th, we're going to be launching these. Nine months ago, we did a series called Move. And that was a series about information. We talked about these circles every week. We talked about them until we were blue in the face. We talked about how eventually we're going to have these city teams where you can come in and have this tight alliance with people and apply what we're learning and be held accountable to actually move. Not just come in and check something off your list, but really go out and make a difference. And on September 9th, we're going to be launching these. Pastor Tony was up here preaching last week. Many of you guys know him. He's overseeing this, our city teams. And this is how we don't just come in and get great information and get inspired and get enlightened. But we take that inspiration and we turn it into fuel that will power this movement to actually go out and make a difference in our world. It's time to... Get serious about the vision, the original intention of Jesus. And all we're doing with these three circles is trying to the best of our ability to take Jesus's intention and apply it to our current world, our current context, and our current culture so that we can live in light of our purpose and so that we can powerfully make a difference in our world. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you that you have brought us in as a part of the body of Christ. God, I pray that you would break the chains of comparison that keep us looking enviously at other people's gifting, talents, and position, and instead open our eyes to where you have placed us, the people around us who need who you've created us to be, God.
Let us not miss out on moving because we're so preoccupied on what other people are doing. God, I pray that you would help us to not just live in our individual purpose, but to come together, to meet together here in our gatherings, to meet together in city teams. And I know it's an inconvenience and we have very busy lives and people aren't sure how they're gonna block out a few more hours in their week to get together and try and apply this stuff. But I pray that they would, God, so that we could meet together in those teams. We can meet together as individuals to make sure that we're healthy and firing in all cylinders so that we can move together and we can see change and life and hope breathed in to this world. And we pray it all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.